0: shine your light and let the whole world sing we're singing for the glory of a risen king but really isn't that what we're living for we're living for the glory of a risen king and what a perfect song to to take us back as we dive into the book of jonah i'm pastor john i'm the discipleship pastor here at heartland and i am so honored to be bringing god's word to you this morning Last week we started a new sermon series entitled, Run, and we were moving through the book of Jonah. And we ran full speed last week into the book of Jonah and ended the message by leaving Jonah in the belly of a great fish. So for the last seven days, he's been enjoying the sights, the sounds, and the smells inside of that great fish. So let's go ahead and and recap what we talked about in chapter one and move forward. Jonah, if you remember, as we get into this story, remember that, that Jonah was an actual prophet. It wasn't a parable, not allegory or anything else, Jonah was an actual prophet um, sent by called by the Lord. He was the son of Amittai, and he was from Gath hepher verifiable facts. And God called Jonah in the same way that he had called prophets throughout the Old Testament. In verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And we saw throughout the Old Testament that when the word of the Lord comes through his prophets, his prophets respl- reply in obedience. But as we dug into chapter 1 last week, we saw that when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, that Jonah was disobedient. And the, the Lord called Jonah and said, hey, arise, important word to note there, it tells him to arise and go to Nineveh and call out against it because their evil, the evil of Nineveh has come up before God. But instead of arising to go to Nineveh, Jonah does arise, but Jonah arises to flee to Tarshish. She's trying to flee the presence of the Lord. So you remember that he goes down to Joppa, then he goes down into the boat. As he goes down into the boat, then he goes into the inner part of the boat because he's gonna go to sleep. And while he's asleep, the Lord hurls that great wind upon the sea. The seasoned sailors that were on his crew were frightened. They started throwing their cargo overboard. They started crying out to their pagan gods. Remember that this, this pagan crew worshiped that god called Baal Shemim, whose name means the Lord of Heavens. They believed that that, that was their one true God, that, that he was sub- the supreme god over the heavens, and he was the supreme god over the storm. Now the captain goes down into the, into the bowels to get Jonah up, tells him the same thing that God said. He says, arise. Jonah comes up to the deck. At that time, these sailors began to cast lots. They had to find out who was responsible for this storm. And providentially, the lot landed on Jonah. So they asked him, they said, what do we need to do to you that we can appease God, Lowercase g, that we can appease God? And this storm will subside. Jonah now hears this and is honest and straightforward with him. He says, listen, pick me up, hurl me over, overboard into the sea. When you do that, the sea will cease from its raging. Well, the sailors grew more and more afraid. Because as they questioned him, one of the other things that he told them was, listen, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And these sailors are just afraid as Jonah tells them that. But instead of just throwing Jonah overboard into the sea, they decide to do something else. They decide to dig in, get those, get those paddles going. Let's see if we can get back to shore. So they paddle harder and harder with no success. They understand that the only way that they will live is is to hurl Jonah into the sea. But even before they do that, and here's where the story begins to change. It says that they cry out to the Lord. They cry out to capital L-O-R-D. They cry out to Yahweh, the one true God. They had been crying out to lowercase gods in the past, Baal Shemim, but now they cry out to Yahweh because they didn't want to take an innocent man's life if they didn't have to knowing that there was nothing else that they could do, and having cried out to the Lord, now they will succumb and they will hurl him into the sea. And when they do, the sea ceases from its raging. And that takes us to verse 16. So chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1, verse 16, we'll pick up here. Then the the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Seventeen. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And right here is where a lot of people say, well, maybe this is parable. Maybe this is allegory. Maybe this is just a story. But friends, let me put it to you this way. If God's word said that Jonah was thrown overboard and Jonah swallowed that great fish and the fish lived in the belly of Jonah for three days, then what God's word said is true. So that's where we pick up this text this morning, that Jonah is in the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights. Immediately we say, praise God for his patience, right? Praise God for his grace. He was thrown overboard. Maybe we wouldn't see as grace, but a great fish swallows Jonah. He didn't die. Praise God for his grace. Because God does not give up easily on his purposes, and he doesn't give up easily on his people. We see it in Jonah's life, and we know it to be true in our life. We can walk through different seasons of our life, and we can see where God didn't give up on us. But as we get into chapter two, we finally get to a place where Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, understands that he is hopeless apart from God's grace. And in this hopelessness, we see him call out to the Lord, kind of like we saw the sailors in chapter one. They felt hopeless, they called out to the Lord. We, when we experience those feelings of hopelessness, many times we wait till then, and then we call out to the Lord. But so many times the Lord is waiting on us. He's waiting on our obedience, and he's waiting for us to surrender. So the sermon title for this morning is Running With God. And I want you to remember that as we walk through the book of Jonah that we are doing so through the lens of the great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28 18 through 20 it says this and Jesus said and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age. And we are viewing Jonah through the Great Commission because that is what Jesus has commanded of us. While God called Jonah and told him to go to the Ninevites, Jesus has called us to go make disciples of all the nations. No boundaries, no borders. To be honest, where you are right now is where God has you to make disciples. You should also be praying for where God wants to take you next. A few months ago, Pastor Ed asked us to prayerfully consider going to Bradington as we partner with Living Hope Church to plant a church in Bradington. He asked us to pray about that, and then he asked us to consider going, and I want to encourage you to continue praying for them and to continue praying if that is where God would have you go. As we move into text this morning, the first thing we see is this, that running with God means that we meditate on his law. That running with God means that we meditate on his law. And this is beautiful, and it's so amazing sometimes when you see God's sovereignty and his grandeur in such a way that that you can just step back and bask in all that he is. Four weeks ago, Pastor Chad, Preached from Psalm one, and we're going to revisit Psalm one as we talk about meditating on God's law. Verse one Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of scoffers, nor sits, I'm sorry, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. On his law. He meditates day and night. And Pastor Chad said this. He said, to meditate means a low, repetitious murmuring to oneself. What am I doing when I meditate? I'm bringing up continuously and repeating what I know. It implies that I have read and heard God's word so much that it's been committed to memory. So that even when it's not right in front of me, I can still repeat it to myself. And this is exactly what we see here in Jonah chapter 2. If your Bible has cross references, little numbers or or symbols to the left, you will see that many of the verses we're about to walk through will send you to a note at the bottom of your page and that will send you back into Psalms. And the reason it does that is because for the majority of what we will see, we will see that Jonah is praying back scripture to God. He's meditated on this scripture day and night. Unlike the children's books who sometimes show Jonah sitting in the belly of a great fish with a little lantern, he doesn't have his Bible. So when Jonah's praying to the Lord, he's doing so in solitude, based on his recollection. What's so divine is as Jonah prays this back to the Lord, he even forms it in a psalm of thanksgiving. Even the structure is a psalm of thanksgiving. There's an introduction, there's past distresses, There are statements of the Lord answering a cry for help, and there's an acknowledgement of God's gracious act. Jonah has meditated on God's law so much that he's going to recall it in such a way that he's going to piece it together in his situation. And as he pieces it together, he forms this magnificently beautiful and unique Psalm of Thanksgiving back to God. We're gonna walk through each of these, and very quickly I'm gonna we'll read it and I'm gonna tell you where it came from. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Psalm 34, 18, 4 through 6, Psalm 120, verse 1. These are gonna be fast, I apologize. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Psalm 42, 7. Psalm 69, 1 through 2, and 88, 6 through 7. Then I said, I am driven away your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Psalm 5, 7. Psalm 31, 22. Verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Psalm 18, verse 5, Psalm 69, 1 through 2, and Psalm 116, verse 3. When my life was fading, fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple, Psalm eighteen, six. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, Psalm 31, 6. But, with, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 3, 8 and Psalm 50, verse 14. You see, Jonah was in dire straits. He had hit rock bottom. He has nowhere else to turn. He, would try, he had already tried running from the Lord. He tried running. He tried hiding. And now he knew that he couldn't but he, now we see something very interesting because now we know that he wasn't always in this place in his life. We don't know a lot about Jonah apart from this book, but we know that he was a prophet of God. And as we read chapter two, we see that he meditated on God's law day and night, and here we see that he hid God's word in his heart. Despite his reluctancy, Despite his motivations or the desires of his heart, the words that came from Jonah right now were those which he he knew to be true. What about when you feel like you've hit rock bottom? Where there's nowhere else to turn, where you can't run and you can't hide and maybe you're not even trying to run from God but for some reason you just can't get it right. Have you hidden his word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. So that you can cry out to him with his words as you walk through this life. Remember back in January, Pastor Ed preached a message about how a disciple is marked by their prayer life. And that morning we gave everyone who was here an Acts prayer card. And it talked about how you pray through the scripture. And we prompted you to use it as a means of, of praying, but praying the scripture back to God. And how divine that we are seeing that right here in the book of Jonah. We're seeing that modeled and demonstrated by Jonah. But here at Heartland, we do that in our heart groups. If you're a part of our heart groups, we model that Acts prayer and praying God's word back to him every time you get together. We do it in, in all of our Bible studies. And if you're not a part of either of those, I'd encourage you to be a part. Be a part. Go to heartchurch.org, sign up. Send me an email: john at heartchurch.org. I would love to walk with you and help you grow in discipleship and get you plugged into one of those things. If you don't have an Acts prayer card or you want one so you can begin praying the scripture back to the Lord, when we leave, you can go right across to the resource room this morning. You can grab one of those. You have one. But before we move on, I want you to notice verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And this was more than just a matter-of-fact statement because, frankly, there are lots of ways that God could have got Jonah out of the belly of that fish and onto dry land, couldn't he have? But in God's providence, he saw fit that he would have the fish, this great fish, vomit Jonah onto dry land. Some of our younger audience probably likes the fact that I keep referencing vomit. My boys were, my boys were giggling earlier. But in Leviticus we see the Lord repeatedly mention that the land would vomit out those who do not keep its statutes and his rules. Yet Jonah is vomited out of the fish and onto dry land, perhaps foreshadowing his future response to God's call. Secondly, running with God means that we make disciples. Running with God means that we make disciples. Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. So the word of the Lord comes again. By God's grace, it comes a second time to Jonah. Finally, we can add Jonah to that list of prophets. Last week, we we walked through the Old Testament and we illuminated different prophets. The mandate from God would come, the word of the Lord would come to prophet and we would see their response and the prophet obeyed. Time and time again, we saw God's mandate come and the prophet be obedient and then we got to Jonah. But in God's grace, now we add Jonah to that list. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and Jonah obeyed. He may not have got it right the first time, But he absolutely was not going to let the second time pass by without getting it right. He wasn't going to let that mistake happen again, was he? How about you? When God gives you a second opportunity, when God gives you grace to be obedient, how do you respond? Are you like Jonah that you need that second time and then you can be obedient? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you were here last week, God's grace has given you seven days to obey his command to go and make disciples. How'd you do? Did you surrender? Did you run? Chapter three, verse two. Notice that now God says to Jonah to call out against Nineveh the message that God will tell him. And Jonah goes proclaiming that message in verse four, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yikes, who would want to bring that message? Jonah was disobedient to God before knowing what message God was calling him to bring. But now he has to go declare this message? How much harder is that? I want you to take a note here because this is extremely important. The Hebrew term that that is used here to, to describe Nineveh being overthrown, it's the same Hebrew term that we see used in Genesis 19, 25, to describe what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah, and if you don't remember or know that story, he destroyed it. That's not a message of hope. It's a message of God's righteous judgment coming soon. That's the message that Jonah has to take. So Jonah's obedient and goes to make disciples. And when you commit to go and make disciples and are doing so wholeheartedly, you are being obedient to Jesus' command. However, I want to offer you a reminder as you go And for some this will be an encouragement, and for others this will be humbling. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. We see it in chapter two, verse nine. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Have you ever done something only to have someone else take credit for what you did? Maybe you didn't even do it, but maybe you knew that something was done and you see someone swoop in and take the credit on that. We see it all the time, we see it in our, in our jobs, we see it in our schools, we just see it in life. But I bring it up because salvation belongs to the Lord. Because Jesus saves them, we don't. We profess the gospel and the Lord draws people near. We can't save anybody. So if you are sharing the gospel and people are coming to know the Lord, rejoice in the Lord because he saw it pleasing that you could witness his work. And if you are sharing the gospel and you are not seeing people come to the Lord, rejoice in the Lord because he has invited you to be a part of this work. The point is to be encouraged as you go make disciples because God is with you. But let me also add this. Don't you dare try to take credit for that which you have no authority. Don't you rob God of his glory as you seek your own. Finally, running with God means that we move in humility. Running with God means that we move in humility. Jonah 3, 5 and 6, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And unlike Sodom and Gomorrah, these people repented. They turned from their sin from the greatest of them to the least, it says. And in a book full of irony and full of twists and turns and plot twists, this is a huge twist. Jonah, think of the message that Jonah brought. Those five words that Jonah brought to the people. And their response was to believe in God. And they believed in such a way that the word reached the king of Nineveh. A revival had broken out as a result of these five negative words. To think that Christians in our culture are afraid to repeat Jesus' words when he says that I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. But it doesn't just say that they believed, right? It actually gives us an illustration of what their actions looked like, of what their belief looked like, manifested. And from the greatest to the least, they fasted and they put on sackcloth. And the putting on of sackcloth brings a visual representation of submission, of grief, of such, of self-humiliation. And we see it all the way up to the throne, the king represents such humility. It says, he arose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. When a king arises from his throne, you know that this is serious. But for him to then remove his royal robe and put on sackcloth, it shows submission and humility to a higher power. The king is showing submission and humility to a greater authority that even he would take on that impoverished appearance. Verse seven. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast Be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Is this us? Are we moving in such humility because God's grace has spared us? You know, we may not like to talk about it, but sometimes we are on the other side of that spectrum. Many times we are just proud and arrogant, sometimes in a natural demeanor, but, but many times, oftentimes when we are confronted in our sin. Psalm 138 verse six, "For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly but the haughty He knows from afar. Proverbs 3:34 toward the scorners he's scornful, but to the humble he gives favor." Proverbs 29:23 One's pride will bring him low but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Matthew 23:12 Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And the passages go on and on and on as God calls us to be humble. To not be proud. So let me ask you as you go and make disciples, are you doing this in humility? Would humility be a word that is characterized, that someone uses to characterize your life? How would a posture of humility impact your relationship with the Lord? How would that change your relationship with others? Let's see how God responded to the Ninevites. Chapter three, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the climax of the story. God relented. He had compassion on them as they turned from their evil ways and believed in him. This is what the whole story has been leading up to. God has relented upon these people, and he has saved them. Now, Jonah thought that God was going to overthrow them, because of that Greek term that God used. And Jonah likened that Greek term to Sodom and Gomorrah. However, that term also has another definition, another usage that you see in Exodus 7.15 and 7.17, and it indicates that there would be a turning or a change. But can you imagine how Jonah rejoiced with God at the saving of these Ninevites. Jonah was disobedient, God called him, he disobeyed, God called him again, he was obedient, and God saved these people, they believed in God. Jonah must have been rejoicing. Chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Did I miss something? Because in in verse 10, when God saw what the Ninevites did, he relented. He did not do it, yet we see his prophet in the very next verse, displeased. But I thought he was obedient, right? You know, I have frequent conversations with my five-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. It's her job to go out every morning and collect the eggs from the chickens She loves chickens. She's not a huge fan of going out every day to collect their eggs. But through some goading, Elizabeth, this is your job. You're a part of this family. We need you, and part of your job is to go get the eggs. There's reluctant obedience. She obeys. She's not happy about it. Maybe there's some, "Mm -hmm." but she obeys. But that same reluctant obedience is what we see from Jonah right here. He didn't want to go in the first place. It wasn't until he was forced. He knew it was life or death. He's sitting inside the belly of a great fish and he knew be obedient or die. But I also want you to notice this. That it was the second call that Jonah went and there was a difference in that second call. Because in the second call, God delivered to Jonah the message. That he would send. He did not receive that in the first. But when he got that message in the second call, that was a message that he was willing to take. So when it displeased Jonah that God would relent, we see this heart issue, this heart issue that's unchanged from chapter one through chapter two into chapter three and four. But I want you to notice this week, as you're studying this text, that there's no repentance in chapter two. He calls out to the Lord, but there is zero repentance. God wanted Jonah's heart to change from the beginning. God wanted the Ninevites' heart to change. He wants your heart to change. To turn or change from your evil ways, your disobedient ways, your proud ways to humble yourself before Him as you go and make disciples. If you've never believed upon the Lord, God is waiting on your surrender. He desires that all would be saved. If you've believed upon the Lord and are choosing to walk in disobedience, repent, surrender to the Lord. If you, like Jonah, are wrestling to be obedient or obeying reluctantly, God is waiting on your surrender. That is why Jesus came down from his throne of glory. That's why he paid the debt that you and I could never pay for our sin. It's why he took the place on the cross, becoming our sin that we could have life through him. But our God is greater. Because sin did not hold him, as we sung earlier. We don't serve a God who couldn't defeat death, who doesn't have authority over death and life because Jesus conquered death and arose on the third day. So I want to ask you, is today your third day in the belly of a great fish? And are you ready and going to call out to the Lord? Stand with me and let's pray. Almighty God, Father, we just come before you. As a people who need you every second of every day, Father, like Jonah on our best days, we're reluctantly disobedient. And we have a heart issue that never changes on this side of eternity. But God, we thank you that you saw it pleasing to send your Son that he could redeem that sin and all of our sin. We thank you that, like Jonah, you have given us a command to go and make disciples. But making disciples starts with being a disciple. So Father, we just ask your spirit to move mightily in this time and in this place. That for those who have not surrendered their will to the Lord, that they would do that. That if there's been a failure to be obedient to whatever it is that you've called of us in this life, that we would lay that aside and we would be obedient. God, we just want you to get great glory. We want your name to be made great here and across all the nations. Help us to be obedient. Help us to love you, and we can only do that because you first loved us. I don't know what God's doing in your heart this morning. I don't know what he's calling or how he's drawing you, but if he's calling you and calling you to salvation, calling you to life in him, come forward or go to the back with our prayer team. Let someone know. If there's something God's laying on your heart, you can lay it on our crosses or you can come down to the front, turn around your chair, use it as an altar, go to the back with our prayer team. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I know that if you'll be obedient, that'll begin to change everything in your life. Would you obey God? Run. Amen.